Our scripture this morning comes from the book of Genesis, chapter 22, verses 1 through 14. Hear now the word of the Lord. After these things, God tested Abraham. He said to him, Abraham, and he said, here I am. He said, take your son, your only son, Isaac, whom you love, and go to the land of Moriah and offer him there as a burnt offering on one of the mountains that I shall show you. So Abraham rose early in the morning, saddled his donkey, and took two of his men with him and his son Isaac. He cut the wood for the burnt offering and set out and went to the place in the distance that God had shown him. On the third day, Abraham looked up and saw the place far away. Then Abraham said to his young men, Stay here with the donkey. The boy and I will go over there. We will worship and then we will come back to you. Abraham took the wood of the burnt offering and laid it on his son Isaac, and he himself carried the fire and the knife. So the two of them walked on together. Isaac said to his father, Abraham, father, and he said, here I am, my son. He said, the fire and the wood are here, but where is the lamb for a burnt offering? Abraham said, God himself will provide the lamb for a burnt offering, my son. So the two of them walked on together. When they came to the place that God had shown him, Abraham built an altar there and laid the wood in order. He bound his son Isaac and laid him on the altar on top of the wood. Then Abraham reached out his hand and took the knife to kill his son. But the angel of the Lord called to him from heaven and said, Abraham, Abraham. And he said, here I am. He said, do not lay your hand on the boy or do anything to him. For now I know that you fear God, since you have not withheld your son, your only son from me. And Abraham looked up and saw a ram caught in a thicket by its horns. Abraham went and took the ram and offered it up as a burnt offering instead of his son. So Abraham called that place, the Lord will provide, as it is said to this day, on the mount of the Lord, it shall be provided. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. We are continuing this morning in our sermon series, Family Matters, as we look at some of our earliest ancestors in the faith. Part of my premise through this is that these stories are actually our stories, and that by reflecting on them, we gain a deeper insight into our own identity and calling as the family of God. Of course, as you've probably already discovered, one of the things that we learn is that the God who made us is often very hard for us to understand. After all, God is God and we are but mortals. And there are a few passages in Scripture that make very clear the huge gap between the Creator and His creatures and that demonstrate that God's ways are not our ways and God's thoughts are not our thoughts, like this story of the binding of Isaac. Now, for thousands of years now, God's people have wrestled with this story, trying to find a way to rescue it 
and make it less uncomfortable as we wonder what loving God would ask any parent to sacrifice their child. But you know, I don't actually think it's our job to try to rescue Scripture. It certainly isn't our job to rescue God. After all, the Creator does not need to be saved by His creatures. No, as Abraham makes clear, our job is to trust and pay attention, even when we don't understand, especially when we don't understand. Because we serve a gracious, if mysterious God, who is good and faithful and who can be trusted. Now, I actually think that the trustworthiness of God is, 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 the, is the premise of this entire story here. Remember how our passage first began, after these things. After what things? Well, the previous 10 chapters in Genesis, that's what. Ever since God first called Abraham to leave his home in Haran and go to the place that God would show him, where God would make a great nation of him and bless him so that he might become a blessing. When Abraham arrived in Canaan at Shechem, God promised to give all that land to Abraham's descendants. And so Abraham built an altar there to the Lord. An altar, remember, is a place of sacrifice. Then Abraham went south to Bethel, and God showed him more of the land that God would give to his descendants. And Abraham built another altar there to the Lord. When Abraham's flocks and, and the flocks of his nephew Lot were getting too large to all keep together in one place, Abraham told Lot to choose the land where he wanted to go. And Lot chose the lush region near the Jordan River. And yet God assured Abraham that he and his descendants would possess all the land that they could see in every direction. And once again, Abraham built an altar there to the Lord. Every time God reaffirmed his promises to Abraham, Abraham built an altar demonstrating his gratitude and his trust in those promises. Of course, the very cornerstone upon which all of God's promises depended was that Abraham and Sarah would have a son of their own, despite their old age. And against all reason and probability, Abraham believed God. And even though it would take a, a long time to get there, and they would even try to fulfill the blessing on their own through Sarah's servant Hagar, in the end, God was true to his word. And eventually, Sarah gave birth to a baby boy named Isaac, the child of promise. Of course, there were several incidents along the way in which God had to clean up Abraham's mess, including the fiasco with Hagar. And through it all, Abraham learned that this God who so long ago had called him to go to the place that God would show him could be trusted. And so came the day that God called out to Abraham and told him to once again go to the place that God would show him and there to sacrifice his only son Isaac as an offering to the Lord. Now it doesn't really help 
to know that this whole thing is just a test before God risks his entire plan of salvation on the faith of one person because Abraham does not know that. And apart from the obvious disturbance of asking someone to sacrifice their own child, God's command here seems to be a sacrifice of all of God's promises to Abraham because it was through Isaac that all of his descendants were supposed to come. So while in commanding Abraham to leave his home and his father's house in Haran, God was asking Abraham to abandon his past, in commanding Abraham to sacrifice his son, his only son, Isaac, whom he loved, God was asking Abraham to abandon his future. For to kill Isaac was to kill the blessing. And yet, just as Abraham had done all those years ago, he immediately responded obediently and set out to the place that God would show him. And when they neared that place, Abraham took all the wood for the sacrifice and gave it to Isaac to carry. And Abraham took the fire and his knife and he went on ahead to build one final altar to the Lord. But what kind of a parent would be willing to sacrifice their own child even for a god? I mean, that sounds like the kind of religious fanaticism that terrifies us th these days, doesn't it? I mean, especially on this 20th anniversary of 9-11. But what kind of crazy person would do something like that? But you know, I've been reflecting on that question a lot the last few days. And the more I do, the more uncomfortable I become. Because whether we realize it or not, I think we sacrifice our children all the time. We have such precious little time with them and they are such blessings from God and yet we sacrifice them to so many other things. We sacrifice them for our ambition as we work so hard to achieve great things at, in our careers or, or to make a lot of money. We sacrifice them for our social lives or convenience because they interfere with all the things that we would like to do or because we just want a little me time at the end of the day or, or just to sleep in on a Sunday morning. We sacrifice them to our egos as we push them to achieve and succeed so we can feel important and successful and have something to brag about on social media. Certainly as a country, we're willing to sacrifice our sons and daughters in the name of national security and has become abundantly clear in recent years as a society we're very much willing to sacrifice even our young children for a very particular interpretation of the Second Amendment. And as some of you are painfully aware, when we place our marriages on the altar of divorce, it is often our children who carry most of the wood for the fire and who end up getting burned the worst. So before we get too critical of Abraham here, perhaps we should spend a little time looking in the mirror because we sacrifice our children too and to far lesser gods 
than the God of Abraham. Heck, we do this in all of our relationships, sacrificing them for our plans, our dreams, our comfort, our convenience, and we hardly even realize it. In the words of Rabbi Norman Cohen, we are all so involved in our outside lives, our, our careers, our interests, our principles that we do not or cannot see that it is our child or our spouse or parent that is bound on the altar. We are so adept at sacrificing that which is truly important to us on the altars we have erected that we may ask whether we are even capable of hearing the cry of the angel before it is too late. Well, fortunately, over the years, Abraham had learned to become very attentive to the voice of the Lord. Notice every time God calls out to him, he immediately responds with, here I am. And even as he led his son up that hill to the place of sacrifice, I'm sure Abraham was waiting with great anticipation to discover what God was going to do next. I mean, he'd already witnessed and experienced God bringing life where there only appeared to be barrenness and death and to create a way where there seemed to be no way. And so while I'm sure that Abraham did not understand, he had already experienced the goodness and the faithfulness of God too many times to stop trusting God now. So when Isaac asked him about the lamb for the sacrifice, Abraham said, God himself will provide. And I think he actually meant it. I don't think he knew what was going to happen or how things would turn out. But I think he trusted that somehow God would find a way once again to remain faithful to God's promises, even in the face of death. And so Abraham remained obedient waiting expectantly upon the goodness and faithfulness of God, even as he prepared to sacrifice Isaac, the blessing he was counting on. The truth is, we all have things in our lives that we are counting on, that we think will save us, or that will make our lives worth living. And as Craig Barnes writes, whatever you are counting on, that is your Isaac. It is your blessing from God given to make you a blessing from others. And when the chips are down, we cling to that blessing, whatever it is. Education, health, skills, family, love, capacity for hard work. We all have something, some Isaac. And when the going gets tough, that is our blessed hope for how we will make a difference with life. But what will you do on the day that God asks for that blessing back? If you cannot let go of it, then God is not your God. Then the blessing is your God. Sooner or later, we all stand right beside Abraham with our greatest blessing on the altar. And it is then that we must respond to the hardest question the soul will ever face. 
Do you still want God if there are no blessings attached? Do you still want God if it is now God plus nothing? It is the only way you'll ever truly know if you are worshiping God or worshiping his blessings. And of course, there are few of God's blessings that we tend to worship more and have a harder time letting go of than our money. After all, our future depends on it, right? And yet it was all given to us so that we might become a blessing to others. So the question is, are you willing to place your financial resources on the altar of God, even if it requires sacrifice? Are you willing to become radically generous toward the God who in Jesus Christ has been radically generous towards you? You know, when Rebecca and I first started tithing after seminary, giving 10% of my income to the church, it didn't make financial sense at all. I mean, the numbers just didn't add up. I mean, we had a massive amount of seminary debt, three babies, two cars, a new mortgage, and not enough money to pay the bills each month. And yet, somehow, I, I still don't know how, God always found a way. And God has continued to bless us beyond our wildest expectations. Whatever we have given to God, God has always given back to us in spades. And notice, when Abraham offered his son Isaac to God, God immediately gave Isaac right back again, providing a ram for the sacrifice in his place. And when we bring our most cherished blessings to God and offer them to him as a sacrifice, God gives them back to us as well. But now they're no longer idols to which we desperately cling to save us, but the blessings that they were intended to be, that we are now free to enjoy, no longer afraid of losing them, because we know that they don't belong to us. They never did. Even our children don't really belong to us. For in truth, we are but foster parents entrusted with God's children for a little while that we might show them and teach them about the Father's love for them in Jesus Christ. This is true for all, all that we have. We are but stewards of all of it, blessed so that we might become a blessing. And it's only when we give those blessings back to God that they truly come alive and begin to multiply. Do you remember when, when Jesus fed that huge crowd of people the one day by the Sea of Galilee? The disciples brought all that they had. Five loaves of bread and two fish. It certainly wasn't much and it was a huge sacrifice to give it up. And Jesus took that sacrifice and he blessed it and then he gave it right back to them and then they got to participate in the miraculous blessing of feeding more than 5,000 people with plenty of food left over because the truth is you cannot outgive God 
and when we offer to God that which is truly a sacrifice for us, one that challenges us to put our trust in God rather than in His blessings, then God demonstrates His goodness and His faithfulness to us in ways we can't even anticipate as God continues to provide. And the ram of God's provision can show up in so many different ways and forms in our lives, depending on our need. But like Abraham, we've got to learn to pay attention if we're ever going to see it. And if Abraham were here today, I think he would say to us, give it all back to God. It doesn't really belong to you. It's all his anyways. Your children, your marriage, your career, your money, even your very life, all of it. For in giving it back to God, you become free. And you receive the greatest blessing of all. For you learn that we have a gracious and generous God whom we may not always understand, but who can be trusted. A God who in the end refused to accept Abraham's sacrifice of his son. But who on Calvary's hill offered instead his own son, his only son Jesus, whom he loves in our place. So that death might not be the end of our story, but life. God sacrificed everything for us in Jesus Christ, in whom all of God's promises are fulfilled. So in grateful response to God's love poured out for us on the Savior's cross, what are we willing to sacrifice for Him? Amen.